1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden, a senior China Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to be talking about the China-Africa trade relationship. Of course, trade is something that sits in the background of every discussion that goes on about China and Africa, but we really haven't had a chance in a while to dive into the numbers. And we thought that the this would be a good time because China's Ministry of Commerce recently released the 2018 trade figures that came out between China and Africa. And there is some good news. The numbers are up sharply, uh, almost 20%, about 19% to 204.5% billion dollars in bilateral trade between China and Africa. Now just to give you some perspective, that's a big number. There's no doubt about it. Uh, But it's less than what China does in trade with Germany and significantly less than what China does in trade with South America, which is now up at around $260 billion. So there is a good story here. But at the same time when we look at these numbers a little bit deeper, some problems start to emerge. And this is why it's important to separate the propaganda uh, from the reality, so China, Chinese media and state media will talk about, wow, the blooming trade between China and Africa, but when you look at it, forty African countries are in the red and have trade deficits with China. Some of them very, very large. In particular, Kenya, for example, uh, others the the trade itself is highly, highly distorted. So about seventy percent of the trade is concentrated into minerals, timber. And oil, the extractive resources. And of that, most of it is into about 10 to 15 different African countries. So China's trade across Africa is not spread out evenly. And Cobas, I think that's actually a cause for concern, despite the fact that the overall number is up.
2: This is um, definitely a point of concern in Africa, um, and it's that concern is being sharpened at the moment because, as we record, Africa is about to, to kick off, formally kick off, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. Um, it's supposed to come into action, you know, this month. Um and you know with it there's a lot of hope you know that that especially that africa will be able to to increase its its intercontinental trade and that it will be able to to get better trade deals with with international partners but at the same time there's also a lot of concern that the situation we see now will be exacerbated that there'll be a flood of chinese made goods kind of flooding into the continent and that that trade imbalances will become even steeper
1: So we wanted to get some perspective on the China-Africa trade relationship, and we thought it'd be the best person to do this would be Hannah Ryder, who's the CEO of Development Reimagined, which is a development consultancy based in Beijing. Hannah herself is an old friend of our program going back years and years and years. Also, former United Nations Development Program leader in China. Uh, and a former diplomat and has been around the the, U, the China-Africa trading relationship for a long time. And we appreciate, Hannah, that you're back with us and staying up very, very late and joining us on the line from Beijing.
3: Thank you very much for having me, Eric and Cobus. It's great to be here again.
1: It's wonderful to have you. And it's wonderful to be able to talk about trade and start looking into these numbers. And it really gets to let's do a health check of the China-Africa economic relationship. Uh, it's of course really showcased by the Chinese as one of their more productive, proactive, healthy economic relationships around the world. But when you see the two hundred and four point five billion dollar bilateral trade number, and when you look at the state of China Africa trade as it is today, what's your reaction?
3: Well, China Africa trade, you know, as as you say, it has been rising uh, for a long time, and China has been Africa's overall largest trade partner since two thousand and eight. But these large figures do mask a whole range of challenges, not necessarily unique to China, and I think we should explore that a little bit, but the fact that uh, almost 40 of the African countries do have this trade deficit with China. And in terms of that overall trade balance, for every single uh, dollar that is exported to China, one point six dollars comes back to the African uh, to the African continent. So it is an overall imbalance which, at some point, needs to be corrected. And actually. At the Forum for China-Africa Corporation, which happened in September uh, last year, we had a, there was a big emphasis on how to correct this uh, trade imbalance. And particularly because, you know, we've got on the African continent, 600 million people who are unemployed, 600 million youth at the same time. Uh, Here is a country that is in China that has it's expected to have 500 million consumers by uh, middle class consumers by 2022. The uh, growth in China of consumer markets is really strong compared to the rest of the world. Sixteen percent compared to, let's say, two percent in the US. So uh, this is. There is an opportunity for African nations to be able to uh, tap into the Chinese market, but somehow uh, it's not quite happening for the majority of the African countries.
2: And Hannah, what, what do you see as some of the biggest obstacles to African countries being able to close that gap?
3: Well, I think there's several several obstacles, and I think we should also put this in context in the fact that um, the fact that China does have a trade deficit with uh, that African countries have a trade deficit with China is not necessarily unusual. Um, so even uh, the European Union, uh, you still get similar um, similar trends uh, for. The U.S., 60% of African countries have got a trade deficit with, uh, with the U.S., 70% with China. So it's not unusual. But the challenge the, the is that they are getting – majority of African countries are getting uh, huge imports from China. And yes, there is this opportunity on the other side. The barrier is there – are, there are several barriers. First of all, there's a huge focus on um, raw materials – Imports of raw materials uh, into uh, China and also elsewhere. So, uh, first of all, that means that there's very little added value of the products that come into China, and then for the products that go out of China, they're typically, you know, manufactured um, and have a higher value. And the other barrier is also the, the overall amounts of trade. So, China, for example of the overall balance of its trade, only 4% of China's imports come from the African continent. Um, Other countries do have more, others have less. So US, 2% come from Africa. Um, But UK, for example, 5.4% comes from Africa. So you do have a real range um, of of amounts of trade coming in. But it's clearly, however much the trade is increasing, you still... (laughs) there is clearly the fact that africa is losing out in comparison to many other regions in how it's able to take advantage of trade relationships and move ahead
1: well let's take a look at, at some solutions and 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 look you know can this actually be solved and because i have to be honest with you i look at some of the numbers and i don't see a way out china exports about 3.7 3.8 billion dollars worth of goods to kenya kenya sells back to China about $167 million, mostly agricultural products. That is a gap I just don't understand how they're ever going to close. It's a similar story what we see in places like Senegal uh, and other resource-deficient countries. In those with oil and the the key resources, there's a different set of problems, that China has tied up a lot of those resources in loan-for-infrastructure and resource-for-infrastructure deals.
3: Yeah, that's right. You do see this huge range of uh, relationships, trade relationships with China. And um, and as you say, you have the extractive countries who, uh, countries that do have a lot of natural resources, are sending a lot more uh, in terms of their exports to China and really making up for the rest of the continent. But what's the the fact is, how do you close that gap? Well, um First of all, there are several different steps. First of all, the Chinese market has to open up to African products. Um, This is something that a lot of African governments are working on um, here in China in order to uh, be able to bring in goods into, into China, and especially agricultural products, which is where a lot of the African governments are focused on. You have to have uh, a whole range of certification. Um, You've had, you have to have gone through uh, some quarantine processes and so on. The standard agency from China is most likely to have visited. One example is with Kenya has just negotiated for avocados uh, to come into China. Whereas a lot of countries, you don't have this kind of negotiation or very very lengthy process. You do have, um, you do of course have some standards, but they are not as stringent as China's are. So that is one one barrier, just literally opening up the market and um, removing what are known in trade circles as non-trade barriers because actually a lot of the African countries are already have uh, zero tariffs on their products with, um, with China. So that's typically not the issue. Even middle-income countries, a lot of them, like Kenya, have zero tariffs. But uh, it's these non-tariff barriers that get in the way. The other issue is about manufacturing, and this I think is really important and something which is not typically recognized in the debate, that the fact that there is not much manufacturing taking place um, on the African continent actually also inhibits uh, this the ability of countries to be able to shift the trade deficit whether it's with China whether it's with um, whether it's with the UK Germany a whole range of different countries you know just take the example that the African Development Bank have just been talking about uh, in a recent report they were talking about um, cocoa the African uh, the African Continent gets 5% of the value of the overall chocolate market, which is valued at 100 billion US dollars, but it produces 75% of the world's cocoa. You're not going to be able to, even things like fair trade, are not going to be able to shift that Uh, That pattern, you actually have to really make huge steps in terms of shifting global supply chains to move onto the African continent in order for, uh, for African countries to really start to shift the trade deficits with the rest of the world, including China.
2: Another solution that's frequently mentioned um, is the idea of Chinese companies outsourcing to Africa. Um, And, you know, I've I've read um, some analysts saying that, you know, uh, when when we started discussing this uh, a few years ago, uh, a lot of people pointed out that you know it would be much more likely for these these businesses to outsource to places like vietnam um more recently i've read analysts saying that vietnam is is itself you know starting to become a more expensive place to to produce and that the the um, you know that a place like Ethiopia is actually leading the way in in extremely low wage uh, assembly and manufacturing, um, and that more companies are actually now starting to outsource to to places like Ethiopia. Is does that look to you like a kind of a like that could be a, a significant wave in the future, or is you know is is that to a certain extent a false narrative?
3: Well, from our perspective, we definitely hope that it is, um, because, look, if you look at the Agenda 2063, which is the kind of overall vision for the African continent developed by the African leaders and the African Union and the UN together, um, they're looking at increasing manufacturing, they're looking at trying to create new jobs across the continent with that view that industrialization and outsourcing uh, from China is going to be really uh, is going to be a major component of that strategy. Um, and in other words, what that means is Chinese companies investing on the African continent. Moving their their factories uh, to Africa, and of course, it is happening. I think uh, in the figures that uh, MoFCOM recently released that uh, that Eric was talking about earlier, we've seen an increase of three point three billion US dollars in in foreign direct investment from China into the um, into Africa. So that is positive, but it's not really enough uh, as yet. And we see we absolutely believe there's a huge amount of awareness. Uh, raising to be done here in China, um, you know, when you speak to when you speak to Chinese counterparts, and especially you know, kind of when you go out to the provinces and you say, okay, so what African countries do you know about, and what do you know them for? Um, you hear some companies saying, yes, okay, we know Ethiopia uh, because there's Ethiopia has started to really develop a, um, a reputation for the, especially for textiles uh, uh, manufacturing and apparel. Uh, they know Kenya for animals, <laughs> uh, South Africa for uh, being a generally good investment uh, destination and Nigeria for its large population. But, you know, that's that's four African countries out of 55 um, that that are all really trying to get and really trying to structure their business environments to be able to attract more manufacturing. Um, so this is really there's a great deal to be done um the other point as well is also again in china and i think across the world it's it's this perception that what is possible in africa is really just simple uh simple manufacturing at the very at the at best you know n- not very well skilled labor and uh that what's possible is really just to focus on agricultural goods nothing really finished and um, of of the highest quality. Um, We really don't see enough. There's not there's too many stereotypes about what is possible in the African continent that we also need to turn around across the world, Um, but especially in China, just because there's so little awareness of what really happens.
1: You know, I was recently in Beijing and when I had a chance to see you and I held a number of, uh, of seminars and we participated in a couple ourselves. And I was surprised by how many people who were there, Chinese folks who were there, who were part of either think tanks or consultancies or agencies helping Chinese businesses find opportunities in Africa. It was at, at several of the events I went to, some of the attendees were there. So clearly, as you say, there's interest. And one of the topics that came up in the discussions that I had with them was how is the current U.S.-China trade conflict Uh, affecting how Chinese may be looking to other parts of the world to make up for what they used to buy from the United States and now uh, are buying, say, soybeans from Brazil and Russia. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what you're hearing on the ground. Is Africa benefiting at all from the U.S.-China kind of tiff, or is this something that is causing more concern for African countries on the trade front?
3: Well, it really depends what country uh, representative you speak to. A country like South Africa, for example, is, you know, doing their best to take advantage of the uh, of of potential new markets, but at the same time is suffering um, because they've got steel exports that go to the U.S. and so on. So this this trade war is actually really damaging for them. Um, whereas other countries that effectively, you know, don't get a look in that have the large deficits with China and also with the US uh, are just saying, well, you know, when is this going to happen? How can we, um, how can we accelerate that process to be able to get something out of this, uh, of this potential opportunity? You know, there's this huge market growing, they can see it, you know, they see the consumption rising, you know, in Beijing, (laughs) you know, the consumption is just absolutely incredible. Um, So, well, developed, but how do African governments actually get a look in? And there is definitely a sense of of frustration, but also uh, a feeling that really there has to be a lot more work put in, uh, in order to make this happen. The problem is, of course, that Many of the African governments uh, just simply do not have the, the finance and even the teams here in, uh, in Beijing to be able to negotiate and push hard for the outcomes that they really want. So that's, you know, something that we really try and take a role in. Um, but it is, it is really challenging, that's for sure.
2: How do you see the continental free trade agreement impacting the, the kind of China-Africa trade landscape?
3: Well, it's certainly positive, and here in China, it's being received very, very positively um, because it does mean it's again it makes it easier to promote uh, African countries to uh, to potential investors to potential uh, new to factories who are moving over because they can have a larger um, they can they can source their materials from different. Countries, uh, but they can also have a larger domestic market within uh, within Africa. So I think there's definitely. Um It's definitely been seen uh, quite positively. But to the effect that it really affects the bottom line uh, for these Chinese companies, uh, part of the challenge is that, um, first of all, logistics still are a major challenge across the different countries. And so, obviously, things like the air traffic um, aspect of the free trade agreement also need to uh, improve. And uh, they're also still – the domestic markets, even though it's growing in – in Africa, China's growing faster. China's cons- consumption is growing faster. So when there's a much larger market here, so part of the question is also how do, even if you do, um, even if Chinese companies do move to uh, Africa and start to take advantage of the of the free trade area, how can they also then export back to China as well, um, which is something which is also a kind of very emerging area of work. And um, and we're, we're trying to encourage some of the factories to, to be thinking this kind of way, not just to be looking only at the domestic market. Fundamentally, you know, the future should be, of course, in a green way because we've got to care about climate change. Africa suddenly, you know, slowly becoming the manufacturing uh, hub of the world um, but that is going to take time and it's going to take a concerted effort from, from a whole range of, of, uh, of people Support
0: for this podcast comes from the African-China Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at vetschinaafrica or visit africachinareporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars.
1: Let's go back to the kind of solution side of the discussion here. We, we touched on it a little bit earlier. China clearly recognizes that they have a problem in their trade balance with Africa. And Xi Jinping, China's president, said as much Uh, Back in February, when he convened this giant confab called the Import Expo. Now, a lot of people looking back on the Import Expo saw this more as a political event than an actual trade or an economic event. That's subject to some interpretation. Uh, But again, it was an acknowledgement that says, if you come and participate, kiss the Chinese ring, you might have access into this vast consumer market, as you've been talking about. But then there was a follow-up meeting that they announced that's coming up, and it's coming up later in June. Uh, in Changsha, Hunan province, uh, which is, I want to ask, I have a two-part question. Why would they put a China-Africa trade uh, import expo in Hunan province? That's question number one, because that didn't make sense immediately to me. And question number two is, what are they going to be doing at it? And is this just maybe more grandstanding, or is there actually some substance in these types of conventions where they're bringing together Africans and Chinese to talk about trade?
3: Okay, Eric, two really good questions. Um, your first one, I cannot answer, I'm afraid. Um, Doesn't it seem all I know deal? is.
1: I mean, it's like, it just seems like, okay, good. I'm not the only one who's confused about this because I couldn't find just, any information okay.
3: as to why <laughs> it's happening.
1: They put, you know, but, but here's the weird thing, though. I just learned today that in Yunnan province, which is in the south on the Vietnamese border, they have a thriving African studies program at the universities there, several universities there.
3: Right. Uh, which is yeah, like yeah hmm.
1: Can't figure that one out either. (laughs)
3: Look, so it's it's fascinating. Once you start to travel around China, actually, you realize there's a whole number of. Have you been to Yiwu, Eric?
1: Yiwu, yes. I mean, it's like that's one of the big trading ports, and there's a huge export business to Africa. Huge African
3: community there, but hardly anybody talks about them. And they're all, you know, they're all coordinating and doing quite well as businesses. So, um, whereas we all talk only think about Guangzhou, and then, you know, you think. Think about these different universities. You hear about universities only, China, Africa universities only in Georgian province, but actually they're all over. So, um, yeah, this is we need we all need to do a lot more kind of homework as to where are the activities. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on to our second
1: one, which is these do, do when these delegations come over from Africa, spend a lot of money. It's not cheap. And they spend a lot of time and they meet with with their Chinese counterparts or Chinese buyers or whatnot. And you were at the Import Expo in Shanghai uh, back in February. Are these productive, worthwhile events or are they just more kind of grandstanding?
3: Look, I think um, Expos can be can be useful. I think the challenge was Shanghai, and we spoke to a lot of African businesses uh, who came to Shanghai with the expectation that they would be marketing, finding an easy way to market their products. Um, it was absolutely humongous and also uh, there were There were exporters from all over the world there. So the fact that we've got China-Africa Expo is certainly good in terms of um, bringing uh, bringing more focus and attention to African countries um, where these opportunities and and the poverty reduction, sustainable development really needs to be focused. Uh, So I think that's really welcome. Um, But I think the challenge with Expo's and especially for the African, especially for African countries and businesses, is they assume a level of understanding about the market that you're in. And actually, you know, once you live in China, you realise it's extremely. It's first of all, it's a very dynamic uh, environment. The trends are changing constantly. Retail trends are very different. You know, we've got e-commerce that has risen really strongly in the last five, ten years, and Keeping track of what Chinese consumers want and like is extremely challenging. So, um, yet yeah, there is a lot of experience, and you have, you know, take uh, what we saw in Shanghai. You, you could see that, you know businesses from countries like Australia or the UK had actually, you know, come together to create something uh, much more exciting, as it were, uh, to attract. But they were also building the capacity by having, um, you know, chambers of commerce and so on who were able to help them navigate and follow up what they have done, what they might do at the expo, because that, you know, once you come to an expo, well, what are you going to do after? How do you follow up with a potential distributor and supplier? How did you make sure that the potential distributor and supplier actually came to you in the first place? How did you know that there were the right ones? Did you have translation? Um, there are a whole set of challenges that these African businesses are facing, and they don't have um, the kinds of support, chambers of commerce that uh, businesses in, you know, Australia, US, etc. cetera, would... That, do have here in China. Um, so, this is uh, an area that really needs to be, um, that really, in terms of if if African businesses, African countries are going to get the most out of an opportunity like the Expo, there definitely needs to be a whole range of support uh, around uh, their participation and uh, support provided consistently going forwards, including from in China, not just in their own countries. And it's a real gap that we see. And we find it so frustrating. Um, But we're really trying to work with a whole set of new partners to say, look, you know, you do all these aid for trade programs, you do, uh, you know, there's lots of ideas around trilateral cooperation between China and uh, Switzerland, Germany. Um, Why not? Why not actually start to think, how can you support African business and African countries from within China to take the opportunity that there is here in this, here in this market? Um, and the Expo is a great opportunity for, for kind of anchoring that. But nevertheless, it's only one small step in what's really required.
2: And if you, when you're um, advising these governments and they, you know, they make clear to you, like, look, we have a li- very limited budget and we have relatively low capacity. Um, what are, what are some of the, the kind of relatively low hanging fruit that they can actually focus on you know, initially in order to kind of get that first kind of like foot on the lowest rung?
3: Yeah. Um, well, I think there's. There are several things that they can do. They can, of course, try to work out what they feel are their most important, um, products that they want to get into China. They can think strategically about that. You know, take for Kenya, for example, as I mentioned, they've been trying to get avocados into China, um, and have, have just had an agreement for that. But at the, the, Tea is Kenya's largest export to lots of other countries. Um, China ranks only 29th as a tea consumer from from Kenya. So they can actually start to prioritize which are the most important um, agricultural products or in order to, to start kind of bringing more products. On the other hand, they can also, at the same time, uh, also engage with some of their leading brands in uh, in their countries. Um- and some of these brands are, uh, are and what they, what these brands do is they can showcase the ability to kind of have an entire supply chain within one country or within the you know a region in uh, in Africa, and show that it's possible to have the full supply chain and the finished product, very high quality finished product from a country in and and, exp- and Showcase that in China. So we're suggesting that they have a kind of two pronged approach to that, um, and also just between themselves, exchange expertise and exchange information about how they have gone through uh, these different negotiations. Um, you know, also speak to the Latin Americans with uh, with avocados, for example. Kenya should be speaking to Chile, who uh, are the who import 50 percent of China's um, of the imports into China they cover over 50 percent of the market. They should be speaking to them and saying, "Okay, well, how did you actually negotiate this even before they begin the negotiation with China um, so that they also understand what the loopholes might be and how Kenyan companies and Kenyan small uh, holders can get the most out of that relationship and um, get the most out of whatever uh, agreement, trade agreement comes in there. And we see, look, if the U.S. finds it difficult, everyone else is going to find it difficult. Right. And so uh, I think it's not it's not a simple process. And these companies, com- governments really need a great deal of support.
1: Quickly before we go, because I know it's getting late for, for those of us in China. Um, One last question, but I want to shift gears a little bit to the question of debt. And debt and trade are linked intimately in the African-China context in the sense that a lot of governments were taking on uh, enormous amounts of debt on the premise that African economies are going to continue to grow, the investment in infrastructure will generate economic activity, and all of that will then lead to paying off these debts. Happy story. Everybody's content, right? Well, in this economic environment that we're in, there's a lot of concern that commodity prices are flat and falling. Uh, there are higher interest rates in places like Zambia on Eurobonds. In fact, euro- Zambia's Eurobond rate shot up to 19.74% uh, a couple weeks ago. So there's a lot of variabilities now in this relationship. Development Reimagined, your uh, your group in Beijing, um, came out with recently – uh, some data that was very, very interesting about how China is not only not pulling in these, the, calling in these debts, but actually showing some restraint in how they manage their debt relationships in Africa by canceling, rescheduling, or otherwise negotiating with their, with their different partners in uh, various African countries to do this. This, of course, flies in the face of the debt trap narrative that we've heard uh, quite a bit coming out of places like Washington. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about the relationship between debt and trade and some of the findings that you came up with uh, in your report that you published uh, earlier this year.
3: That's a really good question. What we do with the public research that we uh, publish, for example, this one on debt, which we actually did with a group of students in Oxford University, We try to look at the question: How does China compare to others? So we try and put what China is doing in context, and not take it out of context, and and see and check whether uh, there are international, whether there's international experience that can be drawn on, and uh, and also help. African countries especially, but also others around the world, this piece on debt restructuring um, and cancellation covered uh, the entire uh, entire world. Um, How can they better understand their relationship in context in comparison to other uh, developing countries in particular? So with this work on debt, we wanted to see whether... China is unusual in cancelling more or less debt compared to other countries who have engaged in um, in debt uh, cancellation initiatives. For example, uh, you know whether it's the U.S., Germany, U.K. Um, Is China different? And who are the countries that have benefited most from the debt cancellation? And can they share examples? Can they share their experiences uh, with others who might be going through these same sorts of processes? Um, So we don't we didn't want to speculate about, you know, is there going to be more debt cancellation or not? Um, What we did find was that there is a strong relationship between we looked at whether debt and trade relationships are linked. Uh, We didn't actually find uh, that those countries that trade more with China or less have more or less debt cancellation. We didn't find anything significant there, but we did find something significant when it came to foreign direct investment. Um, so this question of if you've got more foreign direct investment um, with China, as in from China, then it seemed that from the data that we had that you require less debt cancellation. Uh, so this was a really interesting finding um, because it does it does kind of reinforce the importance of trying to encourage, and especially for the African countries, trying to encourage that, them to continue to attract the Chinese manufacturers, continue to, to open up their uh, business environments, but also... Um, and from the Chinese side to provide more and more incentives, because the more incentives that they provide for foreign direct investment, maybe the less they'll have to get into these difficult discussions around debt cancellation. So we're providing a different different solution to, you know, what, what others who are very critical of China might be in terms of, okay, well, you know, if, if it's debt diplomacy, then uh, let's actually just stop this relationship completely. No, we're not saying that. We're saying, okay, try and see whether there's, other activities that you can do, reinforce and work strate- strategically with China in order to get something more out of that relationship. And so um, this was this was, I, I think, mm-hmm. something hopef- helpful for governments. And we hope it was helpful for uh, citizens as well in terms of understanding how much how much debt has been has been canceled or not with a different oh, countries.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was incredibly <laughs> helpful. And I really encourage everybody to go to the Development Reimagined website. Uh, just look up developmentreimagine.org and you will find it and just f- search on the website for it because anytime you have the discussion over the debt trap narrative, this is the type of data that actually challenges it. Again, I think to Hannah's point, it, this is there's a lot of gray here, so there's nothing really definitive, but at least this is a data point we can we can point to that helps us better understand what the situation is. So it's an invaluable piece of research and congratulations to you and the team for doing it. It's helped me. I think it's helped a lot of people. Uh, so I hope that we're going to see more of this data. It would be great if actually China produced some of this data themselves and we're nice enough to share it with everybody, but that might be asking a little too much right now. So in the meantime, we're happy that you guys are doing it. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Hannah Ryder, everybody, is the CEO of Development Reimagined, a consultancy based in Beijing. Uh, there are few people out there who are as well-versed in the China-Africa relationship on all fronts, uh, so we talk trade tonight, but she's also well-versed in the economic, the cultural, every aspect of it. And I just uh, – it's a great resource for us and for be able to share your insights with everybody. If people want to follow what uh, both you and Development Reimagined are doing on social media, what's the best way for them to stay in touch
3: yeah, with you? Yeah, so um, for Development Reimagined, we have a Twitter account. Um, it's D E V reimagined dev reimagined uh and then we also have uh we also have a linkedin site as well which we just started uh, so you can also follow our activities there and uh and for myself you can also follow me on hm rider um r y d e r there so
1: r y d e r well thank you so much for staying up late again with us we really appreciate it and thank you for taking the time to speak with us uh, you know, and, and listen. Best of luck at the uh, in the in Hunan, and maybe you can find out why they're holding this. Yeah, I please will share certainly with do
3: that. <laughs> <the industry. laughs> Most certainly. I I'm very, very interest interested in this. this. Uh, of this huge expo and it, it, uh, of where the expo is going to be. And it will be pretty huge and impressive. So uh, actually looking forward to it quite a bit. No <laughs> doubt.
1: And there is gonna there's, there is a reason. We just need to find out why. So we look forward to hearing from that. You Thank you so much, Hannah Ryder. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Kobus. Bye.
1: Kobus, in so much of the China-Africa relationship, we're confronted with these contradictions. So on the one hand, again, trade is up 20% uh, to $204.5 billion in 2018. That's a good thing. Uh, But as Hannah pointed out, there are trade deficits in 40 different countries. So much of that trade is really distorted. I am skeptical that uh, a country like Kenya can export its way out of this deficit in using avocados and tea. It's going to take a lot more than that. Interestingly, on my trip to Beijing, I met with uh, a couple China-Africa traders, uh, mostly they're Kenyans, and they were very, very kind of frustrated, uh, not with the Chinese side, but they were frustrated with their Kenyan counterparts, how the customs controls and the regulations are getting more complicated, how corruption is a problem, how things are sitting at the port longer, how so facilitating trade between the two, the operational parts of it are so difficult on the Kenyan side. And he was just furious. And another guy was saying, you know, a lot of the same things as well. So when we get down to the nitty gritty, are avocados and tea and agricultural products going to balance out the huge trade deficit? Probably not. Adding in some value into those exports from places like Kenya and South Africa, that's got to happen, but it's not happening fast enough. Uh, The debt sustainability issues are also part of this. Because unless the African countries can add value to those exports, those debts are rising, the interest payments are mounting and we face a big problem. So again, we're conflicted. Is this good news? Is it bad news? Is it good enough news? Uh, But it's not a, a simple, you know, good and bad story.
2: Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, you know, the the fact that so much of that of that trade is still in in raw, unprocessed resources is another big problem, um, not only economically but also environmentally. You know, because because these extractive industries tend to be some of the most destructive environmentally. So that's another issue. Um, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how the the kicking off of the free trade agreement. One of one of the things that 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 um, also kicks off is the the a whole bunch of intra-african tariffs are falling away um so there's going to be a you know kind of a continent-wide kind of re-jiggering of the bureaucracy and the tariff systems um, and the tax systems you know across across all of these different uh, boundaries. Um, and so, it's, you know, kind of that, it, that in, in the longer run, that might, you know, kind of help to, to also kick off a kind of a streamlining of these systems that would maybe in the long run make it easier, you know, for, for, for everyone trading with Africa. Uh, but yeah, it's, these processes take so long, you know, and, and there's still so much that needs, that needs to be
1: done. Um, so it, it's difficult to be super optimistic. But at least trade is not going down. We saw numbers from 2015, 16, and 17, and that number was dipping down. And you and I were talking about then is China losing interest in Africa. So that doesn't seem to be happening, at least on the trade relationship. So it's encouraging there. I suspect that China is going to start leaning in to Africa and more Belt and Road countries as the relationship with the United States continues to evolve and deteriorate. That is most likely going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months rather quickly, uh, as the Chinese need to start sourcing suppliers from all these different regions. South America is probably going to benefit the most. Uh, Russia is already starting to export uh, beans that was originally coming from the United States. So we're going to see a lot coming from Asia. But Africa, if it can position itself well, some of these countries on the continent are well positioned to take advantage of this. But Kobus, as you pointed out, they do need to get their act together in terms of adding value to those exports, no doubt there. So that'll do it for this edition. Uh, We're going to continue to talk about trade. Hey, before we go, I just want to give a big thank you uh, to, uh, to the United Nations Development Program, to DFID, Uh, And to a number of the wonderful hosts who welcomed me to Beijing for a week of meetings and seminars and briefings and sessions. And it was great to see everybody and also to see so many listeners of the program and the podcast at the amazing China Africa Stories event that was put on by Kente and Silk. They put on an amazing discussion, bringing together young Chinese professionals with African professionals, doing cultural exchanges, workshops, fashion shows. Uh, It was a whole week of activities. They deserve all of the praise and credit in the world. And if you are a corporate sponsor looking to do a good thing, find Kente and Silk and sponsor China Africa Stories next year. (laughs) They need it. They deserve it. It's an awesome event. Uh, That's my little uh, unsolicited. I don't get a commission, by the way. Just want to put that out there. But I just want to let everybody know. Cobus. maybe next year you and I can go together uh, with so many of our followers and uh, on social media and also listeners to the program. So a big shout out to all of you. Uh, I'll be in Washington this summer so uh, and I'm starting to kind of fill up the schedule in Washington in the month of July. So if you uh, would like me to stop by and, and chat and love to meet, uh, send me an email and I'll kind of see if the schedule works out. Um, I'm only there for a limited time, but nonetheless, uh, I do want to kind of put a call out and a shout out to let everybody know that I'll be passing through Washington, D.C. in uh, in, in mid-July. And so I would love to meet folks and uh, get together. And hopefully, Cobus, you and I have and to do this at one point. Yes.
2: Yeah, together definitely. I mean, uh, I will also be in Washington in Washington in June, like mid June. Um, so yeah,
1: you know, same. Yeah, same how thing is it for me. possible that we're just missing each other by a few weeks? But uh, <laughs> and one of these days we're going to do a meetup in the same city together. We're just going, to, going to be like in London, or we'll be in Beijing. and We'll say, okay, we're going to be at this bar for the next three <laughs> hours. Come over if you want to meet us. But uh, so, Copas and I will be on the road this summer. We love meeting you. We love connecting with you. And, uh, and that's great. Another way, by the way, to stay in touch with us is through our newsletter. Uh, we got some exciting changes coming to the newsletter uh, this summer. So sign up now. Go to our website. You'll see the signups. You can use the QR code right there on the homepage. Uh, if you get in now, by the time that the, the new changes come out, you'll be already signed up. Every week what we do is we put together a selection of the top China-African news of the week, including uh, – Some research from the China Africa Research Initiative at Johns Hopkins or from Brookings or from some of the think tanks in Beijing, research like Development Reimagined. It's a great place both for students and scholars as well as business people, politicians, anybody interested in this topic. This is a great thing. Kobus and I put it together every weekend. So on Monday when you start your day. Uh, it's uh, or start your week, it's there waiting for you. So again, chinaafricaproject.com. You can sign up for it right on the homepage. We'd love to have you part of that community. Okay, we'll be back again next week with another show. Until then, for van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.
0: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash chinaafricaproject to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinski. Or Eric at eorlander, and be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.